From the capital of the Finger Lakes, Geneva, New York, it's the Geneva Believer Show. Unfiltered, unflinching, independent news, interviews, investigative reporting and analysis that you won't hear anywhere else. And now, here's your host of the Geneva Believer Show, Jim Meany. Hello, Believers. On today's show, we've got Natalie Knott and Laura Salamendra to discuss police community relations and the February 10th Youth and Police event at the Ramada. Check it out. I try to release a podcast every two weeks, but I'm putting this one out a few days early because I feel the Geneva community needs to have a discussion about the way the recent February 10th event for youth and police went down. Things happened that should be reflected upon and analyzed sooner than later. The city of Geneva is posting photos online and declaring that the event was a success. And we should know by now that we need to always question any time the city gives us a public relations statement. I'm always trying to become more informed and aware of the complexities and difficulties related to police reform. I'm doing my best to learn about and understand my role in these efforts and to best use whatever influence I may have to help in creating positive change. So please listen, let me know what you think, and share this important conversation with everyone you know. Talk about it with everyone you know. Get involved and keep believing in Geneva. Geneva Believer is on the air. Hello, Believers. Welcome to the, to the Geneva Believer Show. I stumbled over the intro already. It's all right, though, because I have two great guests with me here today. You know both of them because they are the only guests I've had on the podcast so far. <laughs> but um, we, we've got some stuff I wanted to talk about in this uh, episode that um, that needed to be talked about, and these are the two people that needed to be here to talk about because to talk about it because they were there at the event we're going to talk about we want to get into uh, an examination of what happened at the know and assess your rights event at the ramada in um last saturday which was an event put together by the community compact which was ostensibly for the youth of the community and the police to have a forum have a discussion and a dialogue also, earlier in the, in the event, there was a, uh, an attorney there who, was, who gave a Know Your Rights uh, presentation. Her name um, is Carrie Bleakley. She's head of the Conflict Defender's Office in Ontario County. Really great public defender. Yes. And by the way, that is um, one of my co-hosts, Natalie Ann Knott, and my other co-host today, Laura Salamendra, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry about that, Jim. <laughs> Okay. So let's get right into it. I'll start by saying I think I was the first one to get there out of us, out of all of us. Mm -hmm. I got there relatively early and my plan was just to just to observe everything that was going on. So when I got there, I signed in, but I didn't get a name tag. I didn't get all the the materials that they were going to give you. And I sat down and just waited, uh, talked to a few people. And then Carrie came out. She did the no one assess your rights. Uh, portion of the event. Actually, first, I think they introduced a bunch of the people from the Community Compact Committee. And then Carrie gave her presentation, and I thought it was really well done. 
I thought that she covered a lot of important stuff. If I had any criticism, I would wish that it had taken longer, that maybe they could, she could have gotten into each specific um, scenario with the young people a little better. But they asked some good questions, and she gave some great information. Did you Were you guys there for that at all? I wasn't, but I, I saw the, the material she passed out, um, one of which, or some of which were from the um, NYCLU, the New York offshoot of the ACLU. And I rem- there was some criticism I heard about one of the guidelines, which was um, advising people who are detained by police not to um, talk back or mouth off or whatever. And there was some criticism of that. But um, one thing I would say is information like that is designed to get people home alive not necessarily there to kind of advise, you know, obviously you have First Amendment rights even when you're interacting with the police, but um, getting home alive is more important. So it's often a better, um, discretion is the better part of valor to just kind of, you know, keep your cool if you can. I understand a lot of times people are getting held um, unfairly, unjustly, but um, that's the only thing I would say about the, that that critique I heard when I arrived, which I think was the last one of everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think there were, I counted probably 40 to 50 young people there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a, a handful from the colleges. Yeah. Um, Geneva Youth Corps, the new Geneva Youth Corps, <coughs> excuse me, that started last November. Then after that portion, Jimmy Delgado, who's a probation officer, he came up and gave a short presentation, maybe 20 minutes or so. I wasn't sure of how that exactly fit into the rest of the event. It was mm-hmm. more him talking about his life and how he got into that area of law enforcement. I think maybe because they felt he would be relatable to young people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that they're part of what the compact is trying to do is recruit more young people into law enforcement. So maybe that was that was sort of the the aim of that part i mean may i mean yeah that sounds probably like the rationale behind that i mean you know there is an economic justice argument to be made there in that you know these really good middle class jobs with retirement benefits and good health benefits are primarily staffed by white people and that has a huge impact on um, economic disparities um, and the wealth gap which i think we hear about a lot for instance in Monroe County, where I practice, in the town courts, all of the town court judges are white. All of the town clerks for those judges are white. There's not a single person of color. Um, And those are, again, great middle class jobs with retirement benefits Mm -hmm. and good health benefits that, um, you know, people of color seem to be tacitly locked out of. So there's something to say for that. I don't think that that would actually, I don't think that that, that that has anything to do with actually improving the criminal improving the criminal justice system or making it a more just system Mm -hmm. because the issue is not um individual police officers the issue is the structure of the overall criminal justice system right yeah so then after after uh jimmy delgado spoke and and after that they uh had the young people in the room uh group up in at different tables and start to come up with questions that they wanted to ask the police officers who were going to come a little bit later, half hour, 45 minutes later, uh, during lunch. And that's uh, that's where I'm going to let... Uh, and that's when I got there. <laughs> and that's when Laura got there. <laughs> so when I got there, I was happy to see the group work. And with the facilitator, I thought uh, the conver- I joined a group and... 
The conversation was really good. Um, I was happy to see that they were writing the questions down on a piece of paper, and then um, a facilitator would ask the police because it, I mean, if you're looking at police officers and you're 13 or 14 years old, you probably would be nervous and not ask the same question that you would ask if you were with your peers. Or if you had anonymity, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. So they... I was really impressed with that. I th they really thought this through um, because we'll get some real questions because the questions in my group were real. It was, um, do you profile? Um, I get followed when I go to a basketball game and there's a group of white kids and a group of kids of color, then the police are, sh are shadows. They just go wherever we go. I want to ask them why they do that. And so we were trying to find ways to ask, you know, make that into a question and write it on the board. And then, um, I don't know what happened first, but uh, there was an announcement that uh, they were going to change the way that the questions were asked, right? I think they announced that once the police were sitting, when they were about to start, asked, once the police had come in, mm -hmm. as I recall, that's when they said, we're just going to have uh, the individual yeah, so youth stand up and the, ask their own questions. And ask their questions, identify themselves, and then right. ask their questions. So that concerned me a bit because the way people were felt comfortable asking the questions and even writing them on the paper to then know that they had to stand up and say that they were the one to ask that question and mm -hmm. then also to say their name, it just seemed like a like a break of the trust. Well, I mean, I'll say it. That's that is not how that if you are actually interested in having a real dialogue between a community and I have to say, uniformed and I believe armed mm -hmm. police officers, yeah, a I panel would, yeah. of about six of them. We have to get to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is not the way to foster um, an honest dialogue because you have a gross imbalance of power. Individual teenagers, individual members of the community who are there are they have no power in the situation. They identify themselves, they ask a critical question, and it is not beyond the realm of possibility. As a matter of fact, it happens regularly. I won't say in Geneva, but it happens regularly when people who, who confront police with honest questions about their job end up being profiled and harassed and followed mm -hmm. um, and targeted. So that is why if you're, that is why that, if people who are organizing events like these don't do that that way. Yeah. And just to step back a little bit. So all the questions were were gathered. They were put on these uh, pieces of large pieces of paper on the wall. And then the officers showed up. I think there were five officers, five or six, no, I think I, there were five, five, I think um, five officers showed up uniformed and armed. And when the officers walked in, the organizer of the event said something that really surprised me deeply and startled me and I wasn't sure exactly why she would say that um, but she said hey everyone the police are here um, if any of you want to stand up and, and let the officers have your chair and let have them sit down uh, that'd be appreciated or something like that um, any reaction to that I think it just kind of goes to this conversation we keep trying to have in that it, it just it, it was it was it was a perfect kind of example of that in that police are police are public servants just like the city clerk just like city councilors they're all they're public servants and when you um 
it made me think of, um, when you order people or, I mean, essentially kind of pressure people into giving up their seats. So why not just get more chairs? Like that, the symbolism of that is really problematic and really just kind of reinforces, um, reinforces this idea that we're there to be in service to the police. It's not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And I tried to, I tried to, you know, think of maybe a re, uh, sort of the philosophy behind that. And, you know, some, for some people, if, if a guest comes into your house or something like that, you're like, oh, well, thanks for stopping in. You get up and you give them your chair. So maybe the idea was to show them that they're welcome, but it, it was, it just felt wildly inappropriate that. And it, I thought at that point that the group work was still going on mm-hmm. people. And yeah. so it, it was like, you, you will remain anonymous because you're, working in a group and your question goes up no one knows that you asked it oh but then you have to stand up and ask it and also here's an armed uniformed police officer officer that's going to come sit at your table so it it just and they'd been working it like disrupt disrupted the work Mm -hmm. and if the intent was to really get an understanding of the real questions that these kids had for the officers why would you disrupt the work Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just it didn't make sense to me. It didn't get get. There should have been another table or more chairs or right. say we're ending the group work now. Like we're gonna give people an opportunity to eat lunch with an officer like that. I, I mean, right. that, even you, announce I mean, that the officers were coming in mm-hmm. before they did so people could yeah roll up their mm-hmm. paper. Um, I mean that may not be how I would have organized, but there's a way to do what they wanted to do that would not have disrupted the actual dialogue portion of the of the meeting right and as it turned out the the officers ended up sitting when they they came in and they got lunch and they ended up sitting at their chairs yeah. at the uh in the front the of the room table in the front of the room so they never even ended up really sitting with the uh with the young people that were there so anything else about that part before we um, I came in after the questions already had already started, so I, I missed this beginning part. Right. Um, so yeah. So then it was the the part of the meeting which we already talked about when the young people were asked to ask their questions. There was at least one young woman who started to ask her question. And they stopped her and they said, "Say your name. Identify yourself." Mm-hmm. Um, I think that happened a couple times. It was. Yeah. It was really startling, especially when the words, the actual words, identify yourself were used. It was, um, it was really, and I don't think even her question, I don't even think her question was anything all that controversial. Um, A lot of the kids were asking really, you know, reasonable questions, you know, what's your training like? What's your day like? You know, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? Which are really, you know, reasonable questions to ask of police officers and actually really humanizing questions. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was really impressed that a several several young people um uh did try to ask um ask more critical questions but you could tell like you they had all the intent as they stood up and then they were talking and facing these police officers and they had to say their name and you could tell like it was it was scary like you could tell mm-hmm. people were nervous trying to ask their more well it's nerve-wracking yeah. to stand up in a group and ask a question anyway yeah to a- anywhere you are it's yeah. like everybody's nervous and mm-hmm. then when it like so everyone's looking at you and then mm-hmm. and so i was in groups and heard the, the people who were asking questions 
ask their question in the group and it was fr phrased a lot of times much differently so i think that it did have, have a real effect on like and and i think the other thing that we kept noticing is like every almost at, most of the critical questions so we should maybe say who the i mean if we if people know who the officers were i think mm -hmm. only really two or three of them spoke i, I know turner officer arroyo turner Bam. turner arroyo Turner, Arroyo, Valenti, Valenti, Pasolacqua, and Lloyd. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, and I will. I found it really off-putting that most of the critical questions, um, the police officers deflected to Officer Arroyo. Officer Arroyo being, um, I believe, the only police officer of color, mm -hmm. um, and the SRO. SRO for people who don't know is the school resource officer. He's the actual police office uniform police officer stationed in Geneva High School, high school, and ser and also serves the middle school. Yep. And it was that to me was also. I mean, I understand why Officer Royal was there, but it, imagine how even more chilling that was. This is an officer that these kids who go to who go to Geneva High and Middle School have to see every single day now. So the the chilling the the additional chilling nature of that it makes sense that he was there, but it also added an, the fact that they had to stand up, identify themselves to an officer they have to see in school every single day. That's another level of chilling and another barrier to honest communication between these two groups which i think the community compact was trying to create but you know these are kids mm -hmm. yeah and it's also it's it's also difficult to create that situation because the officers they're not prepared to answer those kinds of questions i mean most of them answered them enough I mean, they, they gave enough of an answer where it would seem like they've they they responded, but for the most part, they when they were asked those difficult questions, they didn't really answer them because they and that's why and so it's not an honest conversation. Like nothing about it was an honest conversation. There can't be because one group, one side of the conversation was in complete power. The other group had everything changed right before was like not, probably knocked off guard, and then. If the questions got too hard, they were shut down. Yeah. It just was like an, an announcement that said, if this goes out of line, I'll shut it down. Mm -hmm. So if you plan to ask a hard question. And so this is why I think it's, it's so to me, that's missing a step. So like right now, the compact is trying to mend a relationship between youth and police officers. And I think that that's really great work but did we ever listen first we never listened to find out what the problems were so how can we fix the problems we're just forcing the unity before we've addressed the problems so these kids will still have to go on being targeted and feeling like they've been over policed but they're they're unified it, there's it, no I, reconciliation without truth over right. and over and over again you cannot you cannot you cannot mend a relationship that hasn't had a real honest to goodness reckoning. It's like um, if you are in a marriage and you know one spouse cheats on the other, you know you can't pretend it never happened and then resume having a perfectly healthy, happy marriage. It's not how it works. And if one side says, mm -hmm. "No, you did this to me," you can't just say, "Well, what about you? Don't care about the family? You don't care about unity?" Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, and that's like 
I think that that's where a lot of people who so want unity, and everybody does, like are calling out people who are still demanding that mm-hmm. reconciliation. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's a there's an interesting thing that's been floating around in my head is that we hear so often, you know, you can't fight hate with hate, or you can't be, you know, you can't uh, be angry about something that happens to you and expect that to fix something. But um, I don't think we realize like what what a form of gaslighting that is and gaslighting being a term where um you basically make someone feel crazy about uh Mm -hmm. something that is actually happening to them you claim it's not happening you deflect you deflect but no like you have in order to have a true reconciliation you have to allow people to say what happened say what happened to them to say that to be angry about it to be upset about it there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing destructive about that and then the other party has to acknowledge their role in making someone feel like that. And intent doesn't matter. Again, the impact of your actions is what matters, not the intent. Or the intent matters, but much less than the impact. And so the idea that we were going to shut this down if it got out of line, you know, quote, that's placing all of the burden for this so-called reconciliation on the community, on the community, on the community of these Mm -hmm. youth who haven't done anything wrong like yeah it was so i think um some other things that struck me about the about the event was um the fact that the overwhelming sensation that the the community compact members the leaders who are primarily leaders of color um seem to be there to protect the police instead of creating space for the youth to have a dialogue, which was very weird to me. Very weird. Um, be- between, I mean, behind the, you know, the identifiers, and then the, and the, the reason for that I heard at the end was, well, we're concerned if, if basically, if, paraphrasing, if the conversation is too honest, the police will never return and have another, com- be, be in dialogue with the community again. So let there be empty chairs. Yes, I um yes, I agree completely. A community that's afraid of a, a police force that is afraid of being in conversation with the community it places that what are you afraid of? And also like is that a police force we should we should trust to per, to patrol our community with guns. Like right. And to police themselves. Yes. And the and the difficult thing about the compact itself and this isn't necessarily a reflection on the people who signed it or the people who helped put it together because I I know that the intentions are there the intention to make things better are there but the compact itself and I think I think I mentioned this in the last podcast the compact itself says that neither neither side the, the signatories the city the police are essentially admitting no wrongdoing about anything it's it's a clean slate so that's so the, the the basis of the compact and the basis of this whole effort to reconcile everything is to not look at those problems and to and to basically say okay the police are innocent until proven guilty or whatever however you want to put it and you can't that's that's very very difficult to try to have a as a starting place mm-hmm. to have any kind of honest conversation mm-hmm. It's reconciliation without truth again. And not mm-hmm. only are they innocent until they're proven guilty, they're innocent when they are proven guilty. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I, I don't, I think, yeah, G- this is a hyper local podcast about Geneva, which I love, but I don't think in this situation we can ignore the wider messages that communities of color, particularly, are have gotten from America. You know, we've seen multiple people of color get shot point blank. We've seen we've seen multiple people of color. Uh, we've heard we've heard the audio of officers saying, "I'm going to kill this person." no reason and then go kill that person and walk away with a not guilty verdict we see this over and over and over again happening outside of geneva and even Mm -hmm. in geneva at times and so the 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 failure to acknowledge this and to acknowledge that geneva Geneva is not unique geneva is not some special utopia it's happening here too Mm -hmm. but we don't create space to hear from the people who it's happening to we i mean because after this event, if I was any of those youth, I would go and tell all of my friends, don't ever come back to this again. It's not real. They're not here to support us. They're here to expose us. You know, this is not, that's the, and that's the problem. When you do an event like this and you do it badly, that has a chilling effect for what they're trying to do going forward. Um, it was mentioned that we, there might be a forum like this for um, adults mm-hmm. and the police to have this kind of dialogue. I can't, I can't imagine that. I mean, I, I, I understand that the, the police may not attend that, but I can also understand community members not attending after hearing the level of exposure that is required on the part of community members to have this dialogue. Mm-hmm. I want when you were talking about how Geneva is not unique. I was thinking about the the domestic violence rate among police families and how it's forty percent. And to me, it's like, well, if it's forty percent, it's everywhere. And mm-hmm. when I hear things like that, I wonder why people don't want the police accountability board. Why that's not like the first thought. The thing is, I think I think the majority of people do. They do. I think the majority of people do want all of their public servants to be accountable, um, including police officers. Um, I think the loudest voices don't. I also think that there are powerful unions that um, have powerful voices. But the majority this civilian accountability boards, I mean, there hasn't been a poll done in Geneva because that would be expensive. Um, but they poll very, very well overall. Um, people, people want their police to be accountable to them. I, it, but it's always, they, the, 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 the roadblock is usually the police union and police, police departments. And I agree with you. I don't understand why we hear over and over and over again from police departments in Geneva and all over doing good work, you know, keeping the community safe, da, 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 uh, upstanding citizens. Then fine. Let us see that. I, I would happily shut up and not come out to Geneva on a Saturday to record a podcast if that was proven true. Happily. I I mean, I think there's one thing I want to back up. I think people think that um, people who do this work are doing it for fun and or attention and mm. or as a way to level up. Absolutely not. Um, I, I know, Laura, you've been getting awful messages, awful hate mail messages <laughs> all week. Uh, Jim, you too. Jim all the time. Um, uh, luckily, I think my Facebook is hidden enough that people don't send me messages or 
I don't know, but I, I, I mean, I was called a cancer this week. Um, I took that as a compliment and a badge of honor. I was called an imbecile and a horse's ass. <laughs> I don't think I And can... a loser. I and... know. I know. Oh, okay. We can say that. I was going to say, I know I can accidentally swear, but I don't know if I should give you the list of things I've been called this week. Yeah. I can bleep them out. Yeah. I mean, but we don't have to get into that. It's not it's not fun. This work is not fun. This work is grueling and harrowing, um, unpleasant. And it makes me, it, it, it has made me disappointed in people that I really, really respected, had longstanding respect for. It's disillusioning. But we do this because people will die if we don't. People will be harmed if we don't. People will sit in prison for things that they did not do if we do not. And it's happening every day. Day. Every day. Every day. People who needed help three months ago are in prison now. It's like, and so it's like such a weight to to know that it needs such immediate attention. And the people who need help, you know what? You don't have to be perfect to, need, to, to, to deserve help. You don't mm-hmm. have to have led an unblemished life. People, even people who make mistakes in their past deserve to have constitutionally appropriate just reaction just interactions with the criminal justice system i i know i've personally received a lot of flack because i uh i took a stand against overcharging of children and a couple of those children um ended up having a subsequent uh interaction with the criminal justice system and now they're sitting in prison that is heartbreaking and tragic and unfortunate but that doesn't mean that their first interaction with the Geneva Police Department wasn't unjust, inappropriate, and uh, highly problematic and did not deserve attention. Um, it did. Bad things happen to imperfect people, and those bad th- and that doesn't make it okay. And just to go back to the Civilian Review Board, maybe not most, but a lot of the signatories of the, com- of the compact support a Civilian Review Board. Mm-hmm. Um, the organizers, when the question was brought up during the know your know and assess your rights portion, multiple people said yes, we all support that. So, the community compact supports that. I would say, I mean, the, it's not in the compact, but the individuals involved with the compact do support that. And the youth at that workshop supported it. Right. That was the conversation in in my group. Right. There's only one. There's. Yeah. Side that doesn't support it. That doesn't support it. Mm-hmm. And that's the side that is in charge of holding the community accountable. Like, that is, right. that's the hypocrisy there. That is the, the, the thing that I think is the most maddening. The entity that we, that we charge with the responsibility of holding people accountable to living lawfully, whatever that means to you, doesn't have to report to anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's why the residency thing was... I thought just (laughs) so terrible. It's like you hold everyone like parking. I feel like no one should pay their parking tickets. Nobody should pay. It's like, how dare you hold people accountable for like mistakes when they can't afford it. And then the chief of police, like can do whatever he wants. Just pay the money back and walk away. And it's, and then you look at the, the situation, the article that I just put out about, the, the domestic violence issue with the with the Geneva police officer and the public isn't allowed to know because it's considered a personnel issue and and I want to say it's not and it's not about the individual officer in mm-hmm. you know whoever that may be in the article you you wrote Jim it's about the structure mm-hmm. it's about the structure of accountability 
or the lack thereof in this case. Um, there is no mechanism that oversees a municipal department that ha that that is the only armed municipal department that had that. So basically, it means they have unchecked power within the city. That's a problem. That's mm. a problem in a democracy. And so I, I, we, I think repeatedly in these conversations about accountability, we've gotten bogged down in the individual. You know, Laura, you referenced yep. the um, um, Chief Trickler and his uh, residency issue. And the conversation became about, well, Chief Trickler is a great guy. It's not about whether Chief Trickler is a great guy. It's about whether we are holding structures accountable to the community. Um, and repeatedly... Geneva makes the decision not to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I should say, there's, it's, it's not just the police who are against a civilian review board. The city also didn't, didn't advocate for it in the, in the, new, in the renegotiated community compact. Mm -hmm. um, it's every time we, we make a choice to, the city has an opportunity to make a choice to tell the community, okay, we understand in Ontario County, individual citizens are held very harshly accountable for transgressions. We understand that. And so we are going to, in turn, hold our law enforcement officials to an equally stri stringent standard. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen every single time the city and the police office, police department choose the other, cho choose, choose the, the other way out. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. That's a problem for community relations. You cannot have reconciliation without, without truth and without responsibility. And with the and with the trickler thing, it just there's there were other ways. It became a discussion of should we force him to move or not, and that wasn't even the question. The question was, is there a way to hold him accountable? And he wasn't held accountable in any way. And the other thing that was said was that we, if he retires, we might get a a racist police officer. Like, that was I, the implication. The yes. implication, yeah. But it was like, no, you, like, the people have the power. You can have a, the police department that you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100. Mm -hmm. or you can at least fight You really can fight for, for it. it. You can really, really fight for it. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the event at the Ramada, it got down to the last question. There were, I think they said, we're going to take one more question. And then I heard some people talking behind me to, near the back of the room. And they said that there was uh, actually going to be two more questions. So there was a, a woman who arrived who wanted to speak and ask a question. Does anyone want to? Sure. Well, I would just say, like, maybe let's not put too much of her business out since she's not here. But okay. Yeah. She was a woman who was closely related to someone who was murdered. Mm -hmm. And she's been locked out of answers about what's going on with that investigation. Right. And she's been trying to get me to, um, you can take over. Okay, so she, um, the murder happened um, months ago. And uh, she's been holding rallies every Friday demanding justice and trying to get the Geneva Police Department to meet with her. And because the the person who who murdered her her family member hasn't been hasn't been, hasn't been ca caught or arrested right and it's getting turned around into like a different kind of investigation and the people um like drive by the protests and honk the horn and she wants to know why there's no answers why it's taking so long and so she came to ask the police why they prioritize making arrests for nonviolent crimes over 
finding justice for um, violent crimes. Specifically um, when the victims are non-white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then... And then... Um, so she was actually given the mic to ask that question. Uh, very, like, no drama, no nothing. And then it was ripped out of her hand by the head of the NAACP, which was... Because it was set up that there was going to be one more question. That's right. the part that Jim was okay. getting. So there was going to be one more question. They knew it was towards the back of the room, so they were handing the mic back. And then when she got the mic... Mm-hmm. Yeah. They... Yeah, they... they Yeah. And there was a there was a brief interlude in between that where it was said that um, no adults were going to be permitted to ask any questions because this was a um, um, a form for youth, which valid, um, mm-hmm. valid. Um, but I'll say the woman in question is pretty young, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty young. I would I would classify her because I'm old as a youth, um, but and. Her her son, her toddler son, who is affected by this crime, was wasn't there, but he he's he is a youth, youth. Mm-hmm. and so she was also speaking for him, who because he's been deprived of a he's been deprived of a parent. So she tried to she she asked her question about mm-hmm. about this, and it was deflected. The the officers essentially said that they can't comment on an ongoing investigation, and she rephrased it. Multiple, well, first they depend they because she was nervous mm-hmm. she. It was it, it. Her first go wasn't the clearest question. So the first they said they deflected. Oh, I don't know what you're asking. So she asked it again. They deflected again, saying we can't comment on an, on an open investigation. It was rephrased again as a more general question about the studied, researched, confirmed. I don't want to call it a tendency. Reality in police departments that they do over police non-white people for non-violent crime and under police violent crimes with non-white victims Mm -hmm. that is a fact that is Mm -hmm. not something that can be disputed this is what happened this is a fact of policing in the united states of america that question was never answered really no it wasn't that that, what that question was never answered i think the answer that she got was it was the officer i mean the officer's in a position where he can't answer how is an officer going to answer that honestly anyway except to say i don't know or i wish we didn't or i i don't know what his correct answer would be but he kind of just talked about how they investigate these things this way and these things are different and some things take more time time and but that doesn't answer why they're not keeping in touch with the with the relatives of a victim well that's Mm. that's the next part so then someone said it doesn't look like this will be resolved, and it probably wouldn't have been. So that was a wise call, I thought, as an organizer to sh- say, maybe let's schedule a meeting. The problem is that she's been trying to schedule a meeting. And so then it kind of took us, because then it, like, bubbled over. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to get a meeting. They won't meet with me. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of, then I don't really, it gets fuzzy. Like they shut the microphones off. Right yeah. Mm-hmm. But one thing I, I do that this this question especially brought out, but a lot of the other questions brought out was, I think, uh, kind of that that became very obvious over the over all the questions was a lack of critical engagement between Geneva PD and their job. A lot of questions. Uh, there were a lot of critical questions that were asked that were deflected and kind of softballed off or made to be personal. Whereas 
for instance, I, I, I'm a public defender. Um, I'm a criminal defense attorney. I was a poverty, a civil poverty attorney for a really long time. Um, not a really long time, like whatever. Um, and in doing that work, even though I grew up as a, I, I grew up as a poor person, I'm still a, technically a, I'm still a poor person. <laughs> um, uh, because my job um, has such an intimate relationship with how my clients live their lives and their ability to uh, function and do the things they need to do, like I consider it part of my job to critically engage with what my job is. Um, you know, um, how, like, what are the, what are the best ways that I can be accessible to my clients who, you know, have language issues, car issues, or, um, or who are mistrustful of structures for very valid reasons. I, I basically consider it part of my job to continually critically re-examine how I am performing my role. I did not get any of that from any of the answers any of the police officers gave. And that's a problem, especially when you have an when you have a position that is such a position of power and trust that you are not reading the literature on your mm-hmm. job. You're not reading the studies. You're not reading anything that is critical of how you do things. And that's a problem. Imagine if, imagine if, um, imagine if anybody never read critiques about themselves and just continued to soldier on the way they do things. Critique is how we improve. Critique is how we get better. Critique is how we um, uh, we produce better outcomes. It's 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 everything. And yeah, the, the, they're about to go do an implicit bias training, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But that all that material they're going to cover has been available for decades at this point, and it doesn't seem that any of them have engaged with it before being required to mm-hmm. before being required to um that's really troubling <laughs> but go back to the end of the meeting sorry so we oh wait so she asked the question but basically i was mentioning that because they were unable to answer a question that has been mm-hmm. out in the zeitgeist about policing about the over and under policing they were unable to answer that question mm-hmm. and yeah, they probably couldn't get, like you said, they probably couldn't give an answer about the individual investigation. But they could have, they if they had been reading and paying attention with the information that is coming out about their position, they would have, they should have been able to have an answer for that. And it's troubling that they didn't. Um, one other thing I wanted to, to go back to and comment on is that when, when some of the questions were being asked by the adults in the room or the older, not teenagers in the room, the organizers said at least once, maybe two or three times, that if you're an adult and you have a question, we're going to have another one of these soon, so you'll be able to ask your questions. And I would really like to see that they hold themselves accountable to, to, to that happening because, uh, well, I, I have a hard time imagining seeing that happen because I think they, they, they would have a harder time controlling the outcomes and controlling the questions and controlling how things go if they were dealing with adults. But let's see how ready the police are for conversation yeah. with the community. But I think that that's a, I mean, the problem, the the reason that they're worried about it is because we never do this. Right. Like community, com, I'm from California, so I'm going to talk about this in terms of, of uh, play tectonics. Um, communities are like geology. Um Unless you have regular shifting and meeting and grinding and uh, contact, 
uh, and it just if you don't have that things just bump against each other and bump against each other and bump against each other until one day you have a 7.0 earthquake or a volcano um the reason that this is the reason that this is so fraught right now is because we geneva doesn't do this geneva doesn't put its police in in conversation with the people it doesn't put the its police in any kind of contact with the community where the community has the opportunity to voice their opinions and concerns so yeah if you do this once or twice every five years you might have an eruption or two Mm -hmm. um but that's why regular accountability measures actually work to make that relationship better because things don't bottle up they have a means to be expressed a means to be adjudicated and people can see that their issues are being dealt with when that doesn't happen yeah you create a more volatile situation Mm -hmm. so i i hope it happens and i hope that and it it, it's probably going to be a little volatile that's not a bad thing no community gets better without conflict and discomfort at that's that's just how change happens and that's fine that's healthy okay yes and we get a little geology lesson here too on the geneva believer show folks it's not just she can all, do it all it's not just all <laughs> that's heavy what she politics does stuff. <laughs> drop a little science on you here and there um so to to kind of wrap this up at, at the end of the event um there were some things that went on in the room that may have may have influenced uh, some people's opinions of of the event. Or anybody want to anybody want to touch that one? Yeah. So I will. Sorry. Surprise. Surprise. Um, I think the most kind of disturbing takeaway from from the event that I've been hearing um, is that um, the critiques of Saturday and kind of the ongoing critiques of how kind of uh, the community compact has been kind of forced to navigate these issues are only coming from white people. Um, That is not true. That is 100% not true. Um, The as a matter of fact, all of the critiques that are coming are basically the Black Lives Matter platform. Um, This is not just white people this is lots of people of color this is people this is me but this is and i know i'm not a i was not born and raised in geneva i'm not a fourth generation genevan so i understand that um people that has a red that there's a reticence reticency to um consider me part of that conversation but it's also coming from lots of young people of color who have spent a lot of time here in geneva who i hear from who laura hears from who jim hear from every single day but who are afraid because of examples of like what happened last saturday to say this the problem is is that so much of what is so much of the the compact's driving forces are not in touch with are not in touch with the movement essentially um we have to stop putting this respectability politics pressure on the community to be better and not putting any pressure on really any pressure for accountability on the police who are the actual people in power who have the power to change this relationship it's kind of these these retrograde ideas that are really um 
that are creating these points of discomfort and friction that come out and then are used to kind of discredit valid critiques. And I think that that's really, that's really sad because we should, I mean, if anything, I don't feel like I can have a conversation with Mark Grambling. Mark Grambling looks right through me. It's like I don't exist to him. And that's really sad. We used to, we, we used to be able to have these conversations. Um, uh, the same with, uh, the same with Lucille Mallard. And that's really sad. And I feel like, I feel like, a, I feel like this is kind of a, a thing that a lot of people feel is that they have critiques about how this is going, but they cannot get heard. And their critiques are valid. And their critiques are not just coming from from white people. And there's kind of this thing I see happening right now after after last Saturday's event that's really sad to me is claiming that um, the white people who are also trying to do this work and are trying to basically create space for non-white people to be heard are being told things like they don't speak for the black community or, um, or kind of very veiled very weird veiled insults and that's that's a that's that's really unfortunate and that's not a that's not a path forward that's not that's uh that's the opposite i mean it's the opposite of reconciliation and so i do want to say that i know uh tools for social change is trying to plan a dialogue um to kind of return us to a place where we can continue having these conversations Mm -hmm. um critical conversations but critical does not mean uncivil critical does not mean dislike critical does not mean hate um it means that people are seeing things that you're missing and that we need to be able to come together so we can reconcile our ledgers and figure out how to come at this in a way that actually um that actually helps it's just so hard to no, I know. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'll say, like, what I've observed from you, Lauren. Maybe interrupt me and jump in, but like, your your entire kind of um, trajectory is questioning systems of power. This is another system of power you're questioning, and you're trying to bring more accountability to. And also help people who have been locked out of these discussions get access to access that you that you um, I mean, I'm going to say this, you know, you have white privilege, you know, that gets you in rooms and into spaces that I can't that I can't get into. Um, And you use that to help get people into rooms. You've done it for me. Um, But um, that's been your work with. Go ahead. At Tom Reed, <laughs> yes, that's been your that's been your work at various various protests, but that's been your work with. Um... I mean, I think that this is why the conversation is really hard. It's because I mean, people of privilege have an obligation to create that space. I mean, there's a lot of times where um, people are too afraid to come out and fight, and and people who can come out and fight need to make it safer, and. So then when you are doing that, I mean, and you're reading and learning and like putting in all this work and you're you're trying, like, it's like an honest just goal for police accountability in this town because people are actually like suffering and they're oppressed and like no one, like this is all one fight. We're all fighting these power structures. Mm -hmm. And so to feel like, like I can't talk 
about this mm-hmm. just makes it really difficult when it does. It does. I, I mean, this is going to sound like a bunch of like, but this is real. Like this is these are the conversations that we're having. Like, and it's not like you don't have skin in the game. You you're in- profoundly close with your two little black nieces who are growing up in Penyan in small town upstate, you know, New York, and are going to have to interact with these structures as they get older. But even if you didn't have them, right? Even if I mean, it's this is it, not. I'm not. I, I feel like this is all one fight. It, it is. I think another interesting conversation for the, this would be, uh, for for the Believer podcast, would be oh, white allyship in activism in Geneva. I think there's some there. This is a this is a conversation that is happening with a lot of people, but in Geneva, it's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I frequently find myself organizing in Geneva spaces where I'm the only black person. In, in Geneva, which is weird because we, you know, have sizable non-white communities, both Spanish-speaking and black. And, um, I mean, I would be interested in hearing, you know, what black communities feel like. And I know you both would. Like, any, like, what are we doing to not make this accessible to people, to everybody? I know you are 100% interested in that. And you take mm-hmm. those critiques to heart and you make and you make the changes. And so, um, you know, I guess I would want the positive thing I'd want to come out of this is, you know, if people are feeling barriers to the organizing that Tools does or GWA does, they want to be a part of these things, but they feel like unwelcome or they feel like there's barriers. I know everybody sitting at this table wants to hear what those are and what those feelings are, and we will change them. (laughs) <laughs> this movement is for a better this the our the movements where we all intersect in our work is for a better Geneva for everybody. I want this to be the best little town in America and it could be. Um I remember when I moved here like I, as I mentioned I'm not a fourth generation Geneva but Geneva is my chosen home. I love this place. Um and sorry to break it to you. I love it too and I'm never leaving. <laughs> You're stuck with me too. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm buying a house here as soon as I can. Um, but it's, we want a, we want a better Geneva. We want a Geneva that responds to everybody's needs and everybody and, and helps everybody and creates space for everybody. Um, and so however, our various work is not making that possible. Tell us, we'll, mm-hmm. you know, we'll change it, but we're not going to change uh, refusing to hold people accountable. We're not going to change being tough. We're not going to change. Um, we're not going to go backwards. We're not going to, um, you know, tell people they need to show up to places with a tie on. That will never be a thing you'll hear from any of us. But, you know, we want to be working with as many people as possible on these goals. And we know that there's, you know, so many of so many of y'all out there who, who feel the same way I do. But, uh, you know, for whatever reason, haven't um, haven't engaged yet. And if that's our fault, tell us. We'll fix it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. I, th- I think I think we should. I think we need to stop right there. Yeah. Um, we went a little over the forty-five minute mark, but that's all but right. The, you could take out some of my muttering if you want. But, but it's just we do so. have that big chunk. Yeah. Oh wait, we we still have to do the last the yeah. end of the podcast though. <laughs> oh, do you know, I was going you know what home. the end is? The call. 
I just want to thank uh, Natalie and Laura for being on the on the Geneva Believer show this week. And, and see you thank next you to week. everyone for listening. <laughs> um, and until next time, believe. 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 <laughs> believe. Did I do that the first time? No, I did it before. I did it first time. Oh, yeah. I was. Yeah, that's the new tradition. Thanks for listening to the Geneva Believer Show. Go to GenevaBeliever.com and enter your email address on the homepage to receive updates for new stories and podcasts. If you have comments or suggestions, use the comment page on the website or leave a message on the Geneva Believer hotline at 315-577-3770. If you'd like to support Geneva Believer, visit GenevaBeliever.com and click the support button. And as always, anything you can give to help the blog and the podcast is deeply appreciated. Until next time, believe. I met a friend of mine the other day He said he couldn't stay Because the world was gonna end at the end of May We're made and pass And everybody's still sitting here on the ass With some talk They're now waiting for the judgment day